I think the truth is we simply don't know how to deal with pain. We don't know how to do to deal with the hurt that's with within inside of us. And you know, so our best coping skill then is to divert our attention to do the avoid dance. That's and right. We'll do we'll do just about anything. Or we'll say, I will do just about anything, but don't ask me to go within. Don't ask me to to deal with that. So we'll become, you know, escapeaholics. Welcome to the Chai Chat Podcast. Solutions for empowered living. Engaging, educating, empowering. Each week, your host, Tarun Puri, author of Finding the Guru Within, and Steve Harvey, mindset mentor to A-list celebrities and stars, bring a combined expertise of over six decades in mentoring, coaching, and inspiring positive solutions to the negatives which keep us stuck and unhappy. With a focus on solutions versus problems, in each episode, they discuss topics relevant to the human condition, which challenge us from moving forward into positive growth and ultimate freedom. Through stream-of-consciousness unscripted dialogue and inquiry, they provide practical, deep, and actionable insights to support you in creating and living a happy, successful, fulfilled life. Join us each week and learn how to access your own inner GPS, your guru positioning system, which comes preset with all the solutions you need for empowered living. Living a life of ease versus effort is only a thought away. Let us show you what works and what doesn't. Hello and welcome to Chai Chat, the podcast. Uh, My name is Tarun Puri. And I'm Steve Harvey. And today's episode is entitled, Doing the Avoid Dance, the Mind of Addiction. Good topic. Good topic today. Yes, Steve, but I'm a little concerned. I have to tell you something. I'm channeling the lawyer within me as as I look at the word addiction. It scares (laughs) me. It really scares me. So... And and lately, you know, with all the censorship going on about what you can or cannot say on a podcast, I I guess maybe, okay, a little bit of paranoia has crept in. So would you mind if I just quickly just shared with our friends out there that today we're going to probably ask more questions than give answers. So uh, because we're going to explore the mind of addiction and the whole concept of the avoid dance or avoiding And in no way are we putting ourselves out to be experts in addiction. So there are so many amazing, amazing people out there doing incredible work. There's terrific organizations that are serving as stepping stones for people once they make the choice to get to the core of that which is fueling their addiction. So I just want to be very, very clear. This is my legal disclaimer, friends that in no way are we offering medical advice or really we don't give advice here. We just, this whole podcast is about giving you some hopefully out of sight insights, some experiences and ideas for your consideration. I believe we need to now start becoming accountable for what we choose to buy into or not. And in order to practice that accountability, It is important to be open to receive what's being put out, but then channel it through your inner guru, your inner authority, and consider it 
and then decide if it's a fit or not. It's not about making the one who's gifting you with a thought or an idea right or wrong. It has nothing to do with it. And it's neither about making yourself right and wrong. It's for your consideration. And I, I think it's considerate when I can say, hey, Steve, I, I have something I want to share with you. And please know that it's for your consideration. I may feel strongly about it. I may believe, you know, vehemently about it. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to respect your boundaries as I would expect you to respect mine. And, uh, and then let the chips fall as they may, depending on where the resonance is for you. So um, sorry to have taken up these first few minutes of our uh, topic today, but I, I just feel that um, it's important at this juncture that people understand that all of us, our guests, anyone that is on this program will be giving you lots of good food for thought for your consideration. And from there, please, you know, um, put yourself in the driver's seat of your own life, friends, and, um, and uh, sit with whatever we've discussed. And of course, we welcome your input, your feedback, your stories, so we can enrich this community as we move forward. Okay, I'm done. I know you're looking at me like, are you done yet, Tarun? <laughs> okay, all right. Once oh, a lawyer, always yeah. a lawyer. <laughs> well, that three minutes of legal advice, um, uh, the bill's in the mail, okay? It's going to cost you a lot. <laughs> okay, right. so where are we? Doing the avoid dance, the mind of addiction. Steve, I know you've had not only in-depth study in many ways, but I know you have some amazing insights in terms of your overall philosophy, if you will, or how you've seen life works. And I know that you have managed to connect the dots into this area because, you know, all the areas of our life really aren't separate because they're, they're connected to who we are. And you know the saying, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. So, so I'd love you to kick off with this and I promise to listen and, uh, you know, give me your thoughts, ideas, and, and sort of feelings around the mind of addiction and the avoidance, and then we'll we'll continue our chat. So floor is yours. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think you'll agree that uh, it's been said that all addiction is basically the search for happiness. And, okay. you know, I, a number of years ago, I, I read a book uh, where the author said there's no such thing as an addiction to a substance, there's only an addiction to the story about it. And she went on to say, we become drunk with our thinking before we become drunk with our drinking. Love you know, it. When I, when I first read that, I thought, come on, you know. It's kind of cute. True. <laughs> yeah, that, that can't be true. But then the more and more I, I looked at the mind's role, in addiction, I thought, hmm, I think she's onto something here, this lady. And, uh, you know, I think really the reason why so many people are unhappy to begin with is because we're looking for a one-sided event or experience in a two-sided universe. And so when we're resisting what is, then we we start looking at the behaviors and um, the actions that end up, you know, doing the avoid dance, but those very behaviors end up creating the addictive 
behavior, you know, because it's, uh, I mean, let, let's face it, you know, um, no one will ever do something unless they perceive more advantages than disadvantages, more rewards than risks, you know, and they're, they're, they're not necessarily going to stop as long as unconsciously they perceive they're getting more rewards than risks, more advantages than disadvantages. And so if we're looking at how can we change the behavior to get a different result or a different outcome, and that's not necessarily working, then we've got to go back and look at what's preceding the behavior. And what I've always maintained is that thoughts can create a disturbance in the body's energy field, which then determines how you feel. And it's those feelings that direct the behavior, so to speak, which results in the outcome. They fuel um, the thoughts. The feelings right. fuel the thoughts, correct? Yes. Right. So I remember a number of years ago, I was working with a lady who had tried to quit smoking nine times. And so she came in and saw me and we, we did a session with her. And at the end of the session, uh, I couldn't get her to touch the cigarette package. We did some NLP techniques with her and stuff. And... Um, we changed her story about the cigarettes, her perception of them, so to speak, so that she couldn't even touch them. I think the image we created in her mind was that the cigarettes was crawling with cockroaches and stuff, right? So she couldn't touch it. But a week later, she came back in for a follow-up session and she had started smoking again. And I remember I asked her why, and she said, you know, Steve, every time I try and quit smoking, I think people think I'm a bitch. And then she went on to say, I'd rather kill myself than be seen as a bitch. And I realized right there and then that her addiction wasn't to cigarettes. Her addiction was for this need for approval. And as long as she had this need for approval, of belonging, of sense of connection, which is one of the six human needs, is that sense of love and connection. As long as she felt a void in her life, then that void became her highest value. So whatever she felt a sense of connection was missing in her life, she looked for something or someone to provide her with that sense of connection. And in this case, it just so happened to be cigarettes that when she was smoking, she could congregate outside her office tower, and even in the winter months in Calgary when it was 40 below outside, all wow. gathered together having a cigarette with her tribe, so to speak. And they all approved her, approved of her, who she was, they accepted her for who she was, which was her story. So as long as she perceived that the cigarettes equaled a sense of approval, how on earth is she going to give it up? And why? So that's because yeah. she the avoid dance is around the feeling exactly. that she does not want to feel of being an outcast or, um, um, you know, um, singled out or just basically not belonging, you know, being right. alone. And that feeling, if she doesn't know what to do with it or how to mediate it or or you know, then it's, isn't it just easier to indulge 
a power tool from the outside to help you feel empowered. And in this yeah. case, the cigarette promised to give her that. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that, so the more I worked with people, the more I realized that that was a common denominator uh, among a lot of people is that they, they were unhappy due to the fact that they had a lopsided perception about reality, that there was more pain than pleasure, more disadvantages than advantages. Um, but once I took them through the process I worked with and was able to collapse those lopsided perceptions, then they were left with love and gratitude for what is. And so, uh, you know, it's like when we're infatuated by something or someone, we, we can't see the downsides. And when we're, resent, when we're resentful, we can't see the upsides. But in actuality, both are occurring simultaneously all of the time. And if we suddenly see both sides, we enter into what St. Thomas Aquinas called synchronicity. Okay. And, and this is where I need to give a little shout out to my high school back in Glasgow because my high school was... St. Thomas Aquinas Secondary School. So oh, anyway, uh, yeah, when we see one side without the other, we enter diachronicity, which means living through time. But synchronicity, as Deepak Chopra would say, is living in an ageless body and a timeless mind. Mm. And I think to get to that place of ageless body, timeless mind, you need to love what is. You know, you have to be perfectly at peace with whatever's going on in your life. But I think the reason why so many people are become addicted because of the mind is inability to equilibrate the lopsided perceptions. And so they're left being tossed around in infatuation, resentment, pain versus pleasure, sorrow versus joy. You know, they're not able to say that both have to coexist and embrace the duality. And it's no different when whatever their drug of choice is, you know, they have infatuation, they have the, the high, but they don't perceive the low. And it has to coexist. You know, and I think um, you and I have discussed this before, and you spoke about uh, David Hawkins's work Absolutely. on that very thing. Yes, The Power Versus Force, uh, one of my favorite books, because the, this man's brilliance, uh, I can't say enough about it, but he was able to measure and equilibrate in, in amazing um, proper scientific methodology, right? Uh, the frequencies of individuals, of, of items, of, of behaviors, and basically created a power versus force scale. And anything below 200 on that scale, okay, was force. What in Tarun's language we call effort. It, it was effort versus ease. And 200 and above, we started to become empowered. And we started, to, in other words, run the energy of ease in moving through life and in creating and manifesting um, our purpose, our passion, our destiny, call it what you will. And... I had found when I was um, rereading or reviewing the book that he had a few very, very interesting insights when he did the work on addictions, especially alcohol, drugs. And he made a very interesting comment. He said, 
you know, when you hear somebody that is addicted to a substance, you hear the term, oh, they needed or were looking for or they were seeking a high. Mm-hmm. Oh, when I do these drugs, I get a high. And he looked at that from a frequency and vibrational point of view, and he identified after doing some experiments that what that substance, and we can, I think, relate this to even other things maybe that aren't substances, but they're behaviors, right, that are addictive, okay? Yeah. That it wasn't the substance that was really giving you the high. It was actually, and especially with alcohol and drugs, though in this case, something that chemically kind of altered your system, it actually suppressed the lows, okay? So by suppressing the lows, it creates, so all you were hearing, like imagine if it was an orchestra and suddenly you had some hearing things on and I in the back punched in some numbers and suddenly all the lows got cut out. And now all you were hearing through this filter was the highs. So you were experiencing in this concert the highs, okay? And that's an artificial high, just like a stock market, right? When there's an artificial high that's created, what do you think follows? Crash. The crash, the low, because obviously that equilibrium. So what happens is that, yeah, people do get this amazing high, but it's temporary and it's surface. And it gives the illusion of the pleasure that they're seeking or the peace even that they're seeking because they are in the avoidance of um, uh, avoiding pain at all costs because they don't know what to do with the pain. Uh, And so he said that by artificially suppressing the lows, you experience the high, but then at the end of that, okay? And then as you know, to me, it's a cycle of quicksand, right? Where quickly your biochemistry, all the other factors start playing. And now the struggle's not in the psyche alone, now it compounds and becomes multifaceted, um, you know, as, as, as uh, even the behaviors and the tracks that get established. So David Hawkins was very, very insightful on that. And I'm, I'm very mindful of one thing though, when it comes to addictions is that it's very important that as frustrating as an addict's behavior can be, okay? And I, I really want to broaden just for a moment, I'm, I'm feeling Maybe it's the lawyer in me, but, you know, I've seen people in the world of weightlifting that I think are ridiculously addicted, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, there's, there's, there is, I think, an aesthetic, and then there's just this need. When are you big enough? When are you bulky enough? When is, right, like, right, it's when I'm not enough then anything on the outside is never enough, right? So I need a, I need more. And I've seen, so whether it's weightlifting or food or all of these other things, right? It's- it's Mega yachts. Me, yeah, the, yeah the, <laughs> right? I mean, okay, so now we're getting into the whole sociological and the, the, the whole idea of more. When is enough enough? Or is it even such a concept? Because that's um, interesting that you mentioned that because yeah. I think- too often we're quick to judge addicts as people that come from, you know, lower working class people. And it doesn't affect, you know, the upper class and, and the middle class. And and it doesn't make any choice, you know, it doesn't... Uh, Discriminate. 
discriminate is what I'm looking for. Sorry, yes. it doesn't discriminate based on you know what your bank balance is or what your education is. It affects everyone, but we're so quick to judge and, and we think, or oh, they must be, and we fill in the blank about that person, and we have no idea who they are. But it, uh, what I've seen in my travels is that addiction affects every one of us, affects every one of us, and every one of us is addicted to something or someone. <laughs> Sometimes, Very much, you know. That's right. And now here's the thing: my, my, the, the the big the, the point that I was trying to make here is that our social systems, our societies, have created an environment where there's what I want to call legitimized addictions, right? And then there's those ones that we have judgments on, like, right. uh, and we we discussed this where it's totally okay for you to be addicted to the need for more money, more possessions, more fame, more success. You know, um, uh, uh, you know, add, uh, uh, you know, you're rewarded if you add um, another company into your group of companies. You're rewarded if you take out another little guy and and eat up one more and consume another and and you know this megalomania kind of energy right that takes place of so we think that's wonderful we don't see that as an addiction the need for uh, the power and the control right but when somebody has a difficult time with food okay or some of the other kind of more obvious things we tend to want to pounce on them and say why are you so weak right what, uh, isn't the person who who you know they become so huge worldwide and yet they yet they need one more company? Aren't they equally weak? Like it's, it's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think you know when we look at people as being weak, um, you know another way I think I've seen that is that we're, we're perceiving them as being broken, and I don't believe, and I, I don't think you believe either that there's any no. broken people. Nope. Uh, instead, I think there's just people doing the best they can with what they've been taught to do, what they know how to do, and maybe the resources available to them at the time. But there's no such thing as broken people. They're just simply trying to survive. And I think, you know, where society has failed in the past is that we made it wrong, you know, to be addicted to something. And, and so then we go about trying to punish people as if that would be a deterrent for them to give it up. And well, an exactly. To stop, you know. And the truth is, if they knew how to stop, they would. Well, as you know, but, I have a I have a background in criminology. I, my, my BA was at criminology at Simon Fraser's mm-hmm. University. And I remember in that pro- program, um, on a practicum working um, uh, with the RCMP, with, with, with victim assistance programs. We were the first actually to establish one. And I also remember looking at the models of why people reoffend or or and or why people don't rehabilitate. Okay, so uh, at that time, you know, this was centuries ago. Yeah, <laughs> rehabilitation was the buzzword, right? We need we need to rehabilitate, and we need to. And I kept on saying, "How are you going to successfully rehabilitate someone that you are judging?" Okay, you started from the premise that they are wrong, that they are broken, that 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 something needs fixing. Okay, and they need to be refitted or retrofitted 
in order to fit my model of what I say, you see, I think that society has failed so many people who've come in as creatives, who have come in as individuals, who have come in with a very different perspective, thinking, and I want to say gift. And yet they have been marginalized because they weren't fitting the narrative. And even in the criminal, quote, justice system, what I recognized was I kept on saying, rehabilitation will not work without acceptance. Right? And, and, And so, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that you say they're being marginalized, again, that's that disconnection, see, mm-hmm. which is part of the six human needs. We need that sense of love and connection. And so, you know, that there's a, fam- a famous TED talk uh, where they talked about our approach to addictions has been wrong. And they, they mentioned a study that was done where they took a, a rat and they isolated the rat in a cage. Okay. And they placed in the cage two bottles of water one of the bottles had been laced with heroin. And so the rat started drinking the laced water. And in a short time later, it was dead. But then they tried a different experiment and they took several rats and they placed them in a cage that was like the Disneyland for rats. Yeah. All these slides and, and tunnels to explore and cheese and God knows what. But lots of rats and, you know, they could have as much fun with one another as they wanted to. And they placed the two bottles of water in there again. One was plain water and the other one was laced with a heroin. And the interesting thing was that the rats in that cage had ever touched the heroin and none of them died. So- and so it just showed you that when, we, when there's that sense of community and a sense of connection, that people didn't reach for that laced water with the heroin in it. But when you isolated the rat and took it out of society, it was dead within, you know, short time. And I think you'll see the same thing with, you know, a lot of addicts that come together. You know, I lived in Vancouver for a while and real close to, you know, East Hastings, it was done in Gastown. And mm-hmm. um, you would see, you know, the communities of homeless people and drug addicts. But the thing that they had together was a sense of community, a sense of connection. You know, and that's, you know, one of the interesting things about the six human needs psychology is that we will find a way to meet those needs. And sometimes it will be determined positive behavior and sometimes it will be determined as negative behavior. Mm -hmm. But either way, you know, we can we can have a connection from someone through lovemaking, for example, but we can also have a connection with someone by fighting with them. So, and like, I mean, in the same city in Vancouver, so you're talking the east side, and yeah. directly across at the west side, you have the the clubs, you have the yacht yes. club, you have the tennis clubs that people also gather and get their human yeah. needs met. And, uh, and discuss their latest triumph of which street they own now. And that's okay. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, uh, you know, I, I did my yeah. law in Vancouver. I was at UBC. So, so that city has a special place in my heart. But I saw this playing out. And I, you know, I played duty council for East Van. And I saw kind of what went on. And it, it, it is difficult, in a sense, not to judge. Because you see the level of devastation that a person 
um, imposes on themselves. And you know, um, I, I can see sometimes that it's 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 a challenge um, not to judge the individual and say, well, you know, they're just like that there is something quote wrong with them without looking at the context, the street, the city, the world, the place. And, and that's not, that is, again, that is not about a lack of accountability. Cause you know, I'm a stickler for accountability. I would hold each one of them accountable for the choices and the decisions they're making. However, when we pull back the judge in us, and you know, I know a little bit about judging, <laughs> And and we we open up to the heart of compassion and the mind of compassion, and we can look at a human being who you know, as we've talked in other episodes, maybe an individual, but they're not separate. See, they're not separate. And if I can look at that individual in pain as not outside of me, not separate, and I can do an inquiry as to where have we as a society uh, where have we as a, as, as a world failed them yeah. not from a place of blaming ourselves either just about where can we assign accountability and then together and i think gabor mate's work there is brilliant because yeah. he's very real and he's very grounded and he's deeply compassionate and he doesn't make excuses for these people but he doesn't judge them either right so yeah. the door opens for people to explore yeah. How I they the got is, Yeah, I think the truth is we simply don't know how to deal with pain. We don't know how to do to deal with the hurt that's with with inside of us. And you know, so our best coping skill then is to divert our attention to do the avoid dance. That's and right. We'll do we'll do just about anything, or we'll say, I will do just about anything. But don't ask me to go within. Don't <laughs> ask me to, to deal with that. So we've become, you know, escapeaholics or avoidaholics, like you know. And so, I mean, let's face it, if you feel bad and you have no skills, then watch what you do with it, right? You've got to mm-hmm. use whatever is handy, whether it's food, alcohol, drugs, sex, smoking, uh, smartphones, uh, shopping, yeah, video games, yoga, you know? golfing. You name it. And so you will use anything so that you don't have to feel what needs to be felt, the stuff that drives the addiction. And so this is where I I question, you know, is a lot of people say addiction is a disease, and I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm still undecided on that. You know, is it a result of some things that we haven't let go of? Some of the poor choices, as you were saying, uh, that have led to the addictive lifestyle. You know, but... You know, every one of us has got painful memories. Yes. If I asked you right now to think of somebody that really bugs bugs you to no end, you got it? Uh, it, like, took microseconds. It yeah. just took microseconds. I mean, wow, right there, bang. Right. I hope it wasn't <laughs> me. Um, I was trying not to look directly at you when you asked that question. I'm just saying. But, okay, let's continue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... So then you may say, oh, God, I need a drink and take a drink to avoid dealing with that person who's your petty tyrant, as I like to call them. Mm. Um, And you may have a temporary reprieve. But where are those feelings when the drug or alcohol wears off? They're still inside you. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter how far you try and run from it. 
they're still within you. Because wherever you go, there they are, right? It's and like so trying to is, outright, it's like trying to outrun your shadow. Exactly. And so <laughs> right? this again, where I keep coming back to, and we mentioned this in the, the episode of manage your energy, not your stress. I keep coming back to the fact that thoughts create a disturbance in the body's energy system, which determines how you feel, which then determines the behavior or the actions that you take and the outcomes that you get. And so when I've been working with people who maybe have had some addictions in the past, um, I know that just changing the behavior is not the answer. I've got to go back to looking at unearthing what is the story beneath it? What is that unresolved issue that's still causing the disturbance in the body's energy system, which is determining how they feel? And it's those feelings that drive the behavior. So and what I I'm think hearing, that's, yeah, go on. I'm just hearing uh, what came in my mind was that along with the intervention, which is a key piece, we also need an intervention. I just made up a word, Steve, so I had to jump in. Sorry. Uh, you know, you know, I, I can't help myself. So we need, an, Smith. we need an intervention plus an intervention in order to make a permanent shift in the psyche that will hopefully reconnect a person to their worth and their value. Because my definition of pain is simple. It's a separation. Right. All pain is a perception or a feeling of separation. And so um, in the matrix that we live in, it feels very real. But in the soul consciousness, separation is an illusion. We're individual, but we're not separate. Exactly. Yeah. I, I want to ask you something. See, I, I've always wondered, just going along that way, because, you know, I'm a kind of a unique thinker. We'll put it that way. It's a kind way to say it, because, you know, yeah. Uh, and I have never, I've always, let me put it another way. I've always wondered, why is it that um, I have not felt that addictive push or pull? And there's a second part of this question. So that like, um, you know, in law school, let's talk about law school. That's, since we've, I'm in my lawyer mode today, of course, we're all wonderful, you know, 200 students and, and, and we had law school parties and we all got together. And what do law students do on a Friday night at law, after law school? Well, they pass around a joint because they're lawyers, right? <laughs> right. And that time yeah. it wasn't as well accepted. And it never interested me. It just... It's like those rats, you know, like it never, it's not that I said to myself puritanically, oh no, Tarone, you cannot, you must not, it's not ethical, you're a lawyer, none of it. Or, you know, it just never, and at, sometimes when I did try, I had a friend once and he said, you just got to try this because it's like amazing and you'll feel this and that. And that person I could see within a few minutes get into this soft and wonderful and kind place. And I was waiting. And I'm waiting and I'm going, okay, any minute now, um, I'm going to feel, right? So as to, you know, a little bit about that mind of addiction and, and maybe it just illustrates part of the point that I've been so self-referred. Like I've, despite all the challenges I've had and I've given my power away in other areas, it's not that I'm totally there, wherever there is, but I, 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 I want to 
feel and understand within myself what 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 keep like if I have a coffee today, great. If I have three coffees today, great. If I don't have a coffee for four days, great. So whereas I know people that you don't even go near them, you know, talk about five feet, try 10 feet until they've had their coffee. So I'm just throwing these thoughts out so that for people who are like me, and I've worked with a lot of people with addictions over the years, cocaine, this and that, and help them. But I always like to turn out, want to say how, how would that feel and what, what's the difference? So I think the difference is that you have more of a balanced perception about the coffee. Um, whereas, and I think this is why the call people use us. The other people are using the coffee. Ah, using, yes. Because they're perceiving more benefits than drawbacks. Again, that one-sided experience in a two-sided universe is what they're perceiving, but it's not true. And so the universe is a great way of balancing things out, you know. Um, yeah. Nature does that all the time, you know? And uh, so when you've got more of a balanced perception of something, you don't have that same pull toward it. It's like, yeah, if I have it, great. If I don't have it, great. Whereas someone who's got more of a lopsided perception, they've got to have it. Because in that moment, as I said earlier, they're perceiving more advantages than disadvantages, more rewards than risks, more benefits than drawbacks. And I, I see that as what drives all of human behavior. I think you've nailed it. I, you know what? That's a key, key word here. Let's just highlight that using. Because users and using, using. So when I take that word and I ask myself, okay, well, Trun, where have you used at times, right? Like whether it's addiction to Okay, I'm going to go to sacred territory now. Okay, so this, I hope you're taking a deep breath. Whether it is a need for more books when you don't have walls or shelves left, right? Just, just, <laughs> it just popped into my mind, Steve. I'm not saying anything to our friends out there. Hint, hint. Okay, or right, <laughs> right. <laughs> or, <laughs> okay, I'll get you okay. later. <laughs> I know, I know. You will, you will get me. Uh, you know, or. The millions of other things. I mean, there's the obvious things. And then like you you had made the point earlier, who isn't an addict, who hasn't had addictive tendencies? And so even though I don't think of myself as that, if I was to go in to say, well, maybe it's a matter of degree, maybe it's a matter of, you know, what have I used? Um, uh, you know, and some people are, then we can go into the area of using guilt to control, right? Right. So using so, intelligence to control. The, oh my God! Okay, right. <laughs> What's that look, Steve? <laughs> right. So, so you so, said you know your your fellow students at law school. You know they maybe be using you know some some cannabis for a, a weekend, having a smoke, or whatever. And yes. What was your drug of choice? Was to do more study. That's true. Actually, I actually See? watched, observed, studied. And explored and, right. and, and and found books. And so, um, yeah, so in some way. So and, we, all and, have a, we all have a drug of choice, you know. Um, I mean, look at me with football when I watch my team. The whole world could stand still when I'm for those 90 minutes. And it was yes. interesting because 
I read a quote from the manager of the team the other day after the game, and he said, you know, 60,000 fans showed up for the game, and many of those people were dealing with problems in their life, but for 90 minutes, we gave them an escape from that. Oh, there's the word, the escape. Okay, so this, you know what, this spawns another uh, nuance. I think it's very fair that we address that. Okay, so, um, and by the way, you people who are in North America, when he talks about football, (laughs) it's what has been known as soccer, okay? Just so that, you know, um, you don't send him the wrong jersey. Uh, You know, if you want to send Steve a gift, uh, make it green and white stripes. Okay, just I'm just I'm just putting that out there because we have audiences worldwide and we don't want them to get mixed up with some jersey with a big number on it. And, you know, yeah. okay. (laughs) but here's my distinction then. So here's a thought that comes up to me. How do I distinction distinction? Yeah, that's good to run. How do I distinguish? between an addiction and a passion. Okay, if I'm a I'm a vocalist, you know, I love singing and I have a passion for singing. And if I say to you, well, Steve, no, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you this weekend because I'm singing. I'm, you know, I'm I just can't get enough. And 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 or I'm an artist and um, I'm in the studio. And so I am painting and you know it's a passion for me or I'm a woodworker or or I'm a weightlifter and I'm in the gym right so I could say to you it's just a passion Steve you're just too bad you don't have one you know join me right rather than I'm not addicted so um, let's explore that nuance yeah I think it comes down to again is the behavior that you're doing whether it's playing an instrument singing and playing golf, whatever, are you doing it because you're passionate and you love doing it? Or are you doing it because you're avoiding dealing with something else? Intention. You're saying yeah. that, and and you know what that reminds me of? I was going to say that. I think it's the outcome and whether it, it the outcome, uh, the result of that behavior, whether it separates you from you or it unifies you and, and therefore... Uh, you know, moves you towards more of you. Let me put it in a bit of a more practical way. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not addictive, and yet I love to have a drink or two. But in what context and in which situations? And and this is what I've guided and mentored my clients to. I said, it's not that the gin and tonic is bad, but it's the association that I make when I choose to have it. So if I've just finished this podcast and I'm like, oh my gosh, by the time we got all the technical stuff right and everything working and, oh, I had to say the right things and, oh boy, that was stressful. Um, I think I need a drink. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. going to go have a gin and tonic to relax me. The message that I have given, and my mind is very quick at learning, is associated the stress of a workout or whatever I had to do with that. I will never do that. Okay, uh, I would rather have uh, a tea um, right. or an herbal tea or hot water. When I will do it is when you come over afterwards and you say, Trun, wasn't that just a great day? And hey, look, we put another podcast behind us and it went well. Uh, yeah, yeah, good. And Well, you know, we had our challenges, but we've learned and life is good. And I'd say, you know what, Steve? Life is good. 
let's share a gin and tonic, right? Now I've associated a celebration and a positive energy with my friend in celebration. I guarantee you, and I'd love to get the chemists and the physicists to come in and do a test to show you the impact of that substance on me, whether it's going to be negative or positive, depending on the intention that I have associated with it. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why the the power of the mind is so important. And, and, you know, let's face it, if you look at the the human body, uh, some of the stuff that we put in the human body, uh, if you were to put that into a car engine, it would die immediately. Immediately. (laughs) Yeah. The human body still able to process all that junk and eliminate it. And, you know, and this is where in Ayurveda we talk about the part of digestion. Um, and it's a different concept slightly than in Western world. You know, digestion in the Western world is about what you're eating, whereas in Ayurveda it's about what you take in with the senses, the five senses, and what you're able to utilize and eliminate that which you don't need. And when you're in the, the proper mindset, you know, you could be eating junk but the body is mm-hmm. able to process it. But when you're not the proper mindset, you could be eating the most healthy organic food on the planet. But if you're just in the middle of having an argument with your loved one and you're trying to digest that food, you're digesting that food and those toxic, you know, angry emotions will convert that wonderful organic food into toxins in the body. And so that's why Ayurveda would say then that how and when you eat is equally important as what you eat. What a lost science. So you mean you know? so are you trying to tell me that drive-throughs may not be the answer? <laughs> <laughs> how many people do you know sit and eat their dinner while they're watching the news on television? Oh, I'll talk about addictions. I was just gonna say to you, and how many people have invited you over for a dinner, for a tea, for a coffee, but they absolutely cannot have that visit without the idiot tube being on, right? Like, 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 right? It's 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 this need to have that thing flashing and sounding, regardless of of what else is happening there. They, they because you know? we're addicted to noise, to distraction. We avoid dance because as long as there's noise going on. We can't be silent and go within. And when we go within, that's why in meditation, quite often what happens is when people take the time to be still, a lot of the stuff that has been suppressed for years starts to resurface and they can't handle it. Oh, it's like like you've avoided going in that room for all these years and suddenly you decide to go and when you open the door, they go, there you are. We've been waiting for you. Okay, have a seat. Uh, And so now you have to... Uh, the awareness comes up and it can become overwhelming is what you're saying, unless there's a tool or to help people well, how, how to, to deal, with, deal with that exactly. energy that has been suppressed, repressed, depressed, uh, unimpressed, <laughs> you know, right. right? Like that, that somehow. Uh, and so people, even though, you know, meditation and visualizations has been shown to give you the equal number of endorphins as a, any yes. drug of choice without the side effects. But in a sense, exactly. what you're saying, it might not be a side effect, but there might be an, Inside effect. Here's another word today. I'm <laughs> yeah. just right on today, huh? You know, there's no side effects, but there's inside effects. In other words, um, and and um, 
I remember when I was studying criminology and doing a law course, we had a visiting professor from the US. I, I remember very little of him. He was wise, he was very well known. And uh, as a thank you for him being a visiting professor and just an amazingly inspiring man, I took him a little gift uh, um, and a little visit. And I remember sitting across him in, in the home that he was renting by Simon Fraser University there. And his name was John. Um, but we had, a, we had this chat and I wanted some of the wisdom from someone who was so far down the road and I hadn't even got to law school yet. And he said to me, he says, Tarun, we live in a world where people are in fear of and maybe even terrorized of stillness and silence. And that, and that people will do anything to avoid being with themselves by themselves. And he says, you know, whereas I come home after doing all the things that I do, teaching and researching and speaking and lawyering and and I look forward to coming into a dimly lit or a dark room with nothing on, no, no, no radio, no that, and sitting back in a comfortable space and just being still. And he says that thought terrifies most of humanity. And he says, so, you know, as you go forward, if you can harness that energy, you're going to find your journey and your ability to learn and equilibrate. And, and, you know, I shared with him, I'm a meditator. Luckily, I grew up with that, that my dad being my first guru. But, but I mean, what is so terrifying about being with yourself? Yeah, I think it's scary for so many people. Uh, and, you know, I mean, look at smartphones now. Everywhere you go, people are just pulling them up, pulling them up. Pulling. They can't go two seconds. They put it back in their yeah. pocket. Two seconds later, they're back checking again, addicted to the phones. Um, and again, these are the same people that struggle with sitting in silence. Uh, they feel that they've constantly got to be stimulated to keep you know, their world um, exciting for them. But as you, again, I keep hearing what you say, but at what cost? At what cost, exactly. What is, what's the cost involved in that? You know, look at their, this, the relationships that are suffering as a result of it. I remember being in Bangkok and uh, my wife and I went for brunch and this family came in and there must have been oh, 10 or 12 kids at the table and it was like, you know, mm. two or three brothers and sisters and their kids. And then they brought in grand and grandpa and they wheeled them in in a wheelchair and sat them okay. at the table. And I looked over and I thought, oh, it's lovely, you know, a big family gathering for brunch. And then when I looked over again, every single family member was on the mobile phone except <laughs> Gran and Grandpa. <laughs> you know, Gran and Grandpa were sitting looking around like, and I, you <sighs> know, they were well, well on their age. And obviously they didn't have long to live on this planet. And here they were, all the family the sons and daughters and grand and grandsons and daughters and totally oblivious to them. So this Hooked precious time, into, this precious yeah. time that one could have had and the wisdom, I don't care, um, you know, how much you like somebody or not, if they've got 30 years on you, they have an experience and a wisdom that you just don't, they have life experience yeah. and you can learn from and through them. So rather than having that experience, um, People were there, but not there, 
right? They're, 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 and, and I guess one of the, okay, I'm taking your drawbacks and benefits a bit far, but maybe the last two years served this purpose well, because now they could all have dinner over Zoom and you're looking at your device. And so you're feeling connected and not withdrawing, right? Right? right. Maybe yeah. uh, it felt more natural. <laughs> I but mean, I know I think, I'm being, right? Yeah, it's also, you know, it's forced people to be together in, you know, confined spaces for, uh, you know, a great length of time. And and what a lot of people have discovered that they don't even like the person that they're married to, that they've got nothing in common. Oh, my and gosh, so you, Steve. You, you see that <laughs> the divorce rates are, are increasing uh, but then at the other flip side of the coin, there's people who are coming together and reconnecting more than they've ever been because they've been forced to be together. You know, so again, it's it's seeing the duality. It's seeing that that is, you know, it's not a one-sided event in a two-sided universe, that both of these experiences have to coexist. There'll be... More divorces, but I guarantee there'll be more babies born as well. <laughs> you so, know, that's, so what that's you're saying the is there's always there's always a choice. Is what you made that point a few episodes ago. Yeah. Regardless of how you feel, there's no choice. There's always a choice. Yes. Right. But as long as you're making the choices from a balanced perception. Okay. You okay. see, but so many people are making choices. You know, like should I stay? Should I go? For example based on mm-hmm. a lopsided perception that there was more drawbacks than benefits or more benefits than drawbacks. And that's the illusion. That's what gets us in trouble. Correct. And, and, and seriously, when I, yeah, this is a huge topic because there's so many um, branches to this tree, right? Uh, because of course, human behavior is human behavior and we're consistent across the board. Because the other thoughts that I'm having uh, as you're speaking is, where does uh, obsessive compulsive behavior fit in here, right? Mm. <laughs> right, like like, yeah. like um, where, kind of where is the distinction? Because whether it's an addiction or, I mean, I can, I understand as having worked with people with obsessive compulsives, that there's a need to calm down a thought or a perception, right? And to equilibrate so that, you know, but the feeling that you have that precedes the obsessive compulsive behavior, maybe not different from the feeling that somebody's having when they reach for fill in the blank, drug of choice, okay? Right. So, But what's right? preceding the feeling is that story. For example, you know, a lot of people go to a cocktail party and yes. know, someone likes a cigarette and passes a cigarette around to the group. Well, if yeah. you and I were at that cocktail party, you and I wouldn't reach for the cigarette because we're non, no. non-smokers. But a smoker does. So what's different? They've got a different story about the cigarette than you and I. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to use willpower to say no. No. <laughs> you see? So again, it comes back to that perception about it. What's the story about it? And as long as you're seeing, for example, obsessive compulsive behavior, any behavior for that matter, whatever we do, we do because we perceive more benefits and drawbacks. That's why we'll do it. If we perceive more drawbacks and benefits, we don't do it. 
But also, if the if the energy system is still disturbed, we can look at the story. But if we don't bring the energy system into balance simultaneously, then that will keep creating more uh, lopsided perceptions. Okay. Because that that disturbance in the energy field will create the negative emotions, and the negative emotions will create the lots the the imbalanced energy field. So they're coexisting. So we can't separate them. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we take an approach that that investigates the story through inquiry and bringing the energy system into balance at the same time, then how we feel is more balanced. And from that perspective, we're able to then change the behavior and get a different outcome that we're looking for. But as long as the, the energy system remains imbalanced, as long as we're running a lopsided perception, then that behavior will always be congruent with those previous two. And the story continues. So the continues. point is that when we're working with the energy system, I want to try to make this a little bit sort of uh, nuanced for people, is that the energy system will impact us at all those levels where the addiction can be playing played out uh, physical mental emotional spiritual and, and and even if we go to the spiritual dimensions here we start to even look at ancestral lines and the energies that get passed down through the 12 cranials and i've done all kinds of study and recognized how much uh, the actions behaviors beliefs experiences of our forefathers on both mom and dad's side yeah. going going several levels up are impacting my thoughts, behaviors, and perceptions. And I find that the North American native communities, and I'm sure around the world, but I've experienced in sweat lodges where um, they very much get this concept. And so when one of their people has been able to overcome an addiction to alcohol, let's say, I remember being in a sweat lodge once and there's a round that you go through and you give gratitude and uh, the, the sweat lodge master in one of the rounds was saying, let us give gratitude for Joe for finally um, mastering his addiction or getting over it. And uh, know that all the grandfathers are smiling and very pleased because as he has done that, shifted the energy, it has also released his forefathers from what they couldn't do. So I'm just trying to give another layer of awareness to people that people, when we choose to do our work, if you want to call it that, or when we choose to finally make the choice, because, you know, one of the key things around addictions and all of life is our fear of change. We want predictability. And, and, and if this, oh my gosh, if I stop smoking and then my life is going to change and Steve's not going to hang out with me anymore. And, and they're going to look at me like, well, you were one of us. And, you know, that, that fear of change, right? Or not to do with change is huge. And yet so the, power, you, yeah. Yeah, the power yeah, that so. we have, I just want to come that. The power yeah. that we hold here. And when we do make a change in our psyche at the energy level, not only do we immediately benefit, and of course, those in our families and friends, but that benefit goes to the forefathers and the upcoming generations. That's how powerful we are. That spiritual dimension um, cannot be understated. It's that ripple effect. Everything we say and do 
affects everyone around us. Because again, individual but not separate. But you know, how do we deal with that fear? And what is the fear? Again, Mm -hmm. the fear is a perception that we're going to have more imagination in the future, that we're going to have more pain than pleasure. Correct. And so you ward it off. The universal laws state they have to coexist. You know, the truth is life gives you both sides, but only always. You know, so we, we need to learn to equilibrate those lopsided perceptions so that we're left with nothing but love and gratitude for what is. And when you come from a place of love and gratitude, fear doesn't exist. It cannot. I mean... It cannot. Yes. But when someone's frozen with fear, it's because they're running a story that they're about to experience more pain than pleasure, more disadvantages than advantages. And hence now, the avoid, yes. Yeah, right. No, there's like, times when you, you need healthy fear. You know? <laughs> well, we did a whole episode on that where there's an appropriate right. fear. But but the, 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 here, let me make the distinction. There's a healthy fear, which the fact of it is speaks for itself. And then there's the using. See, I love that word using. I would yeah. like to go into the week after this episode and start addressing, even at the mundane levels, where am I using? Mm-hmm. In other words, what are my excuses? You see, yeah. uh, 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 when it's a fact, it's a reason because the reason tells me it's pointing to the fact of and and I address it appropriately. And sometimes a fear can point me in the proper direction of self-preservation. Okay, mm-hmm. and like, how do people, okay, now I'm really going to say something controversial. How much do people use religion? Because of the fear yeah. of this God that is judgmental. But l- please, let's not go there. <laughs> uh, in this episode, we will, we will maybe look yeah. at, uh, right? Uh, what 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 was the famous saying? Religion is the opiate of the masses, mm-hmm. right? So so without making any particular judgments, because we're not, we're just exploring the mind of addiction and the dynamic that we engage in. Where does our attention and our intention go when I'm choosing to have a drink, for instance? You know, and what is my mind associating that with? Because if I start making a habit of coming home at the end of the week, some people say, I don't drink all week, but come Friday night, me and my white wine are friends. And I make sure I go that route and I go to stop at that place, see the tracks and everything. So when I'm helping people to change the behavior, I said, you cannot even drive this way. You have to, I don't care if it's longer way to get home, but as part of your making a shift, Take another route. So those tracks and triggers, those smells, those sights, all of those things do, do not reactivate you. And sometimes that involves being away from the people. Yeah. I had a client many years ago when I was living in Vancouver. They were from Calgary. They belonged to a very rich family and an extremely dominating. There's money and the mother was just this powerhouse. And this gentleman had some personal um, issues as to his self-identity and he didn't quite fit in. He was a lovely, lovely gentleman. And and uh, he had a cocaine addiction. And he lived on a, on a guest house on the property. The family had just out of town here, you know, there's those beautiful sprawling properties. And, and he was on a guest house, but is on the same property as the mother, right? All the other people. And he was in his 40s at that time, maybe 50s. Uh, like I said, a lovely gentleman. So he came out to Vancouver and uh, uh, we did a 10 to 14, almost a 10, 12 day program with him. 
Um, and I didn't claim to, again, be, you know, I was dealing with the mind, right? Like I, I was, you know, I, was, I guided him to have the proper help, but we needed to get underneath exactly what you're saying, the, the mind. And we had amazing results, actually. Um, he and the gentleman that emerged once he got cleaner and clearer with all of this was phenomenal. And he started to see his value and he started to see his worth. And, 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 uh, and, and there was an incident in Vancouver because he knew somebody very high up in the legal field out of all, all uh, things who he went to visit, who offered him the best of the best. I know that's a whole other topic. And he said, no. Okay, so he had gotten to that point And he said, I wish I could stay longer and continue this work with you. I said, well, you're welcome to. I mean, I, I, you know, I was working my normal full-time job and, you know, it just created an environment for him. But he says, no, I have to go back because there's a very special family gathering. And I said, really? <laughs> I said, so are you thinking of going back to that property? Well, yeah, and it's important and I should be there. And I said, with all the same people, the mother, the sister, yeah. And, uh, and I said, um, I'd really think twice about that because when you're open and vulnerable and looking to make a shift, you're going to have the same tracks and triggers when you go back there because it's what your mind knows. And it just takes a look, a smell, uh, you know, I mean, the program is running. And I implored him not to do that. He said, I will come back. I will go and I'll come back. And you know what? Instead of taking the next step now and maybe getting help, you know, in the proper ways and all the pieces uh, we needed to do because he'd already made the the core decision, he was right back into it. And, you know, his dealers knew where to find him. They would just knock at the window. But again, that shows you the, <laughs> the, the power of the subconscious mind at play, that yes. as long as you're just trying to solve the problem on the conscious level. Right. You know. Uh, the program is still running. Yes, the triggers the are still there. Subconscious level, you yeah. see. And, uh, and so it's so important to be able to look at the subconscious and how it's playing out, of the unconscious, how it's playing out in this uh, in this um, situation, but also to really collapse a lot, say, the perceptions about these people who were triggering them, and to find the benefits to their behavior and how it serves them and how there's nothing ever in the way, but it's always on the way. Excellent. And so Excellent. then when he goes back to these same environments, he can come go back and say, bring it on, because it's no longer triggering them anymore. They're still ah. there, but his experience and his perception of them changes. Yeah. Not just, as I say, not just on a conscious level, but the subconscious is affected as well, and the energy system is affected. Um, he has neutralized the charge, basically. It's yeah. like it's like walking back into a minefield that's still alive or it's walking back and neutralizing the charges so that it, it's not the same experience anymore. And, yeah. uh, and that's the journey. Some, that's the yeah. inside-out journey. It has to be right. resolved and dissolved at the source where all these charges are and the tracks and the triggers. Yeah. And sometimes it's better, as you say, just to avoid putting yourself into that environment at this time. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you're in the process of, like I said, not wanting to do the wine, the beer, the whatever it is that you think Friday night you've earned, then I'd encourage you to r drive home, a, not past your favorite store. I mean, yeah, I don't it, go it's, to the pub. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's just it's just wise. We have to do pattern interrupts and we have to do rerouting yeah. until you build up 
the resolve where you could go to that store 10 months from now and pick up a, a wine for your guests coming and drink water. I mean, okay, yeah. but again, you know, it's a process. And I think people have to also recognize that uh, the mind works well when you chunk it down and you, and, and you do it chunked down in pieces. Because, of course, don't forget the psyche and the psychobiology of the body is going to go into a reset. And we cannot be too harsh because the, the consequences of that could be very hard in terms of the, the depth and the breadth of the healing crisis we could go into. So, yes, I'd like you to fully heal tomorrow from whatever addiction you're running. However, can we chunk it down and be kind and gentle in the process? Okay. Yeah. Um, so that we don't put ourselves in peril by going into from this uh, energy set to this energy set, which could be too harsh. It's like detoxing yeah. you overnight, totally, with a drug mm -hmm. rather than, you know, taking six weeks. Yeah. So, oh, Steve, you know what? Um, it's it's it is time to wrap up. But wow, we've just barely scratched the surface here. This is a. Uh, I think this is a huge topic and really worthy of, of ex investigation. And I think I would love to do a weekend with some folks and really doing exactly what we're talking about here is that can we, can we investigate the stories? Can we look at the dynamics and can we really together come to unity, you know, and, and create a community and, and, and get some insights into how one can navigate this? Uh, uh, will it be easy? No. Can we bring ease to it? Absolutely. And how? By opening. By opening, being willing, and committing to a process. And I think that a good little exercise for people to do is to make a list of at least 150 benefits that you get from you know, your drug of choice, alcohol, drugs, shopping, Netflix, whatever it is. Weights, books. To make, yeah, to make a list of books. To make a list of <laughs> 150 benefits from taking yeah. that, right? And then make a list of 150 viable alternatives that will get you the same benefits. Wow. Okay, I feel uh, I feel at least a seminar or workshop uh, in, in, in the offings here. I like the idea of how you're looking at this. So um, thank you so much, Steve. I, I really... Thank you. This, I, I thought this again. may be a. I thought this may be a bit of a shorter podcast, but I don't know. The the more we discuss, the more nuances and branches seem to, and more questions arose. And again, I'm looking forward to the thoughts and questions and queries of, of um, our listeners and friends all over the world. And uh, um, bring them on because we would love to investigate on your behalf and and with you um, as to how we can make this world a little bit more loving a little bit kinder, kinder right, yeah. and and peaceful. So on that note, I want to take a moment and and uh, just say to everybody, um, uh, please be at peace. Om Shanti. Shanti. Till we meet again. We trust you found practical value in this podcast and will enthusiastically share it with others in your circle. And if you are so moved, leave us a review or write a post on social, tagging hashtag Chai Chat Podcast, and we will show our appreciation. Promise. Tarun Puri and Steve Harvey welcome you to join us for a Chai Chat at all of our live events and more. Connect with us with your questions, topic suggestions, and reviews at info at chaichatpodcast.com. At